third section of our purpose, purpose of our church, at least the way we say it, is that we are here as a congregation and even as individuals to make disciples. Disciples who do some things, if you were to, if you were to further unpack what, is it, what it is to be a disciple, we say it this way, that number one, we are disciples who follow the Lord. We have a primary relationship with our God that we have to be growing in. Number two, we are designed to feed the sheep. That's how we say it. That's in reference to our relationship to each other. It's the body of Christ. Not only do we have a relationship to God, we have a relationship to each other in Christ. We care for each other. He calls us a family. He calls us a unified body under his headship. And so we have some we have some things to learn about living among each other. And that's where we've recently spent our time. Today, we move into our third priority, our third section of our total priority. We say it is freeing the Lord. It's a reference to our responsibility towards those who are who are outside, those who are outside the fellowship, those who aren't part of what God calls the body, those who aren't part of what God calls his bride. Those who have rejected him still, they've not embraced him nor been embraced by the arms of the father. God's arms are still open to them and we have a responsibility to take the light that we have to them. And so we say that as disciples, we have a responsibility to be about the business of freeing the world, taking that freeing, gracious message that was so lovingly extended to us and spreading it in our world. We're lights in a dark world in that way. Today, as we start uh, a couple weeks on that part of our purpose, what does it mean to be in relationship with the world? Uh, you know, I was asking myself, where, where do you start on that? Where do you start on this topic of essentially, if you gave it just one word, you could call it evangelism, right? In our relationship to the world, uh, how how do we go about this business of evangelizing the world, taking the good news to those who have yet to receive it? I mean, and where do we start if we're going to discuss it on this level as a church, as a body of Christ? Where do we start? I mean, it's in some sense, it's a grand task for us, right? That we have been given the honor and the responsibility by God that he that he chooses in his in his providence for us to be part of the means of extending his grace to the rest of the world. How does that look? What is it? How does it pan out? How do we fit in? Where would you start? Uh, We could we could start by clarifying the message itself. Right. Like, What is this message that we're taking to the world? What is this message of freedom? The gospel Uh, literally is good news. What is this good news? We could spend some time and we have in the past and we will in the future examining just the theology of the gospel itself. What is this message we are to be taking? We could spend a good amount of time on that. We could talk about all the things when it comes to evangelism that keep us from sharing that message. Our fears, our pride, our doubts, our laziness. We could talk about a number of things that keep us from being the light in a dark world. We could even talk about the ways scripture talks about this abundantly. The ways that our life impacts the message that we are communicating. Most often scripture addresses it in the sense that our lives have a tendency to get away in the way of the gospel we're trying to proclaim. So we could we could start in any one of those areas. Where would you start? You know, if you had to if you had to take this place and, and share messages about this 
this purpose portion of freeing the world, where would you start? This morning, um, uh, I, I want to start not with the practical issues, but I want to start with the spiritual issues. Uh, I want to start with what you might call the heart issues. Now, let me tell you, um, if this is your first time or you haven't been here long, uh, I've got about three different kinds of messages if I were to if I were to look back over my time preaching. Uh, for the most part, my heart is to teach. My heart is to explain scripture. Most of my messages are teaching messages. It's here's what God's word says. It's explaining the word. It's unpacking the word. It's walking through the word. It's it's teaching God's word. That's what predominantly that's what my heart is for. That's the way God has wired me and designed me. Most of the time, if you come here, the messages start with grab your Bible and turn to so and so passage. And then we we examine that passage. And I do my best to help to help you understand it and to teach it in that way. That's the majority of my messages. Sometimes, however, I've realized um, that my messages aren't necessarily teaching, but they're preaching messages. Okay. Sometimes I'm not just teaching you through the scripture. God lays uh, maybe a conviction on my heart for our church. And I'm not just teaching. You get more of the preaching angle. And and I won't go into explaining that whole deal. But if you've been in some of those messages, you, you know the difference, right? Preaching has just a different perspective on it. And the word calls us not only to teach, but to preach. And so there are times I find as the pastor of this church where my messages aren't teaching messages. Sometimes they, they move over into the realm of preaching messages. But there are there are other times. And this morning is one of those times where they don't feel like to me they're teaching messages nor preaching messages. But they're the kind of messages where I just want to sit down on one of the steps and share the heart of a fellow believer to you, my fellow believers. And if you've been around a while, you've heard some of those messages where I just get up here and I, I just want to share from my heart. And, and as a more as a peer, I want to I want to uh, I want to grow with you and I want to I want to share with you how God has been challenging me and how I think he is challenging our church. That's that's really what today's message is about. It's one of those heart messages. I said this to you as we move from our first priority to our second priority. I gave sort of a word of transition and caution. Here's what I said. When we finished talking about our relationship to God, we spent several weeks there. Before we moved into talking about our relationship to each other as a body of Christ and the duties we have to deal with each other and all of our messes, etc., and to put up with one another and to fight for our unity and all that that means and all that all that that in, in, entails, I said, listen, before I say anything else about our secondary part of our purpose or our final part of our purpose, which we start today, you've got to understand something that you can't accomplish any of the second or third part of our purpose all on your own. And if you try, it's going to be short lived. In fact, the only way that you're going to be successful in our second priority or our third priority, feeding sheep or freeing the world, is if you've gotten the first priority down. You see, the second and the third are simply a natural result of the first, if if done correctly. And that's just the best way. That's the ideal way. Now, you and I, we can try our best to get along. We can try our best to do the work of living among the body of Christ. But, but we're going to fall. We're going to we're going to fall short. It's going to be short lived in much the same way. We can try our best to do the work of evangelism. But unless it is born out of a heart in our first priority, our relationship to God it will be short-lived, believe me, because I've tried. For many years, I tried. I tried evangelism on 
on my strength. I tried sharing the message in my strength. I tried I tried doing it out of duty. I tried doing it out of responsibility. I tried doing it because that's just what a Christian is supposed to do, right? And every time I tried, it was short-lived. I'd fall back and eventually I'd feel guilty enough and pull myself up by my bootstraps and I'd try again. Today, I give you the same warning as I gave as we moved into our second priority. Listen, this can't be a you endeavor. It has to be born naturally out of your first primary relationship to God. After all my days in uh, ministry, in seminary, in studying and reading, uh, in being in uh, the pastoral ministry, and even just walking this Christian life in a personal way, I've, I've come to the conclusion that, well, I, I know one thing to be true of those who do the work of evangelism. Only those who have lost their life will get in this game. Only those who have lost their life will get in this game. This game of what? This game of evangelism. This responsibility we have to be light in a dark world. The truth is, and it's been true in my life, I've seen it be true in other believers' lives. I think it's the testimony of Scripture. The truth is only those who are willing to lose their life, scripturally speaking, will get in the game and do the work of evangelism. Jesus said that in order to gain your life, you must be willing to lose it. We're not talking about a physical death. We're talking about we're talking about a death to our self, a death, a death to our own priorities, our our own plans. That means that at some pivotal point in life. For each of us. I or you must come to the place. We must come to the conclusion that uh, our life is simply not our own. Right? Does that echo in your heart? The words of Paul? My life is not my own. I've been bought with a price. Let me break it down even, even maybe clearer. Before we go on in this area of our purpose, talking about evangelism, talking about our responsibility, our part in it, how it works, uh, where we fall short, etc. Before we go into the nuts and bolts, even the theology of the message itself, before we do any of that, I think we have to come to the conclusion that we are not at center stage of our own life. Put another way, if we are center stage of our own life, we're most likely not going to be the men and women doing the work of evangelism. Now, let me let me explain that. John marked the right attitude this way in John 3.30. He said, he, meaning Christ, the God-man, he must increase and I must be on the decrease. The attitude of John's life is that he, he was not center stage. He was not Lord of the ring. He was not in charge. He was not the director of his own play. In fact, he had moved from center stage and he had found himself peeking from behind the curtain. And God himself, Christ, had become center stage of his life. And he said that the, the attitude of his life was that he, God, must be on the increase. That he must be taking center stage in my life. And I, I, I've got to be continually falling into the shadows. Is that the testimony of our life? If your dreams, your goals... 
your aspirations, your plans, your five-year plan, your 10-year plan, your retirement plan. If any of your plans are simply that, your plans, then you are at center stage of your life. And as a result, an evangelist you will not be. Here's why. Only the single-minded, only the single-minded man takes up this work. Only the single-minded woman really, earnestly, in truth, in pure motive, takes up this work. If you're still trying to work out your Christianity and to work your Christianity into your life, okay? Have you done that at times? Is that, that's been the testimony of my life early on with Christ. Born again and trying to work God into my life somehow, you know? I got Jesus right here. He's my buddy and he's walking along with me. I've got him. I'm taking him wherever I go. Or is he the center? Does everything revolve around his plans, his purpose, his plans, his will, his desire for my life? If you're still trying to work your Christianity into your life, then your attempts in the area of evangelism will be short-lived. You can't wholeheartedly, I think this is where it, what it comes down to, you can't wholeheartedly believe that men and women who die apart from Christ and perish hopelessly and believe that your life is primarily to be focused on you. You see, it, it just, those things don't, don't fit together. If you believe that if men and women die apart from Christ, they will perish without hope, eternally separated from God, you cannot go on living your life primarily focused on you and your plans, those things, they don't come together. They contradict one another, in fact. One will disqualify the other. One will override the other. Scripture says we can't serve both man and God. Sometimes I think uh, that we think that man, Scripture refers to as some other man out there. I, I've, I've realized that often that man is me. I can't serve myself and also serve my God. So where do we start? I think we start by asking ourselves a pretty simple question. Uh, what, am I, what am I really doing here? Hey, have you ever asked yourself that question? Christians too? Do you continually ask yourself that question? What, what am I doing here? More specific, you could ask, who am I, who am I living for? It's pretty basic stuff, right? But it's big picture stuff. What, what am I doing here? Who am I living for? The answer to that, I think, impacts... Impacts your involvement in freeing the world. Because the man or the woman who's focused on their life, their goals, their plans, and their center stage. Well, I've, never seen, I've never seen that man, I've never seen that woman with the heart or the burden for evangelism that the scripture calls for. Only those who have lost their lives get into this game. I've never known anyone to cling to the American dream and truly give his or herself to the lost. Somebody sent me an email this week. Uh, it's been 58 years, I think Friday, since Jim Elliott, famous missionary, lost his life in the course of doing the work with the people he was trying to take the light of Christ to. They killed him. 58 years since that happened, 
There's a quote that uh, Jim Elliott's most famous for. He says, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. I think that's the attitude that is required to be in the game of evangelism, to be in the work of evangelism. John Piper wrote a book called Don't Waste Your Life. And in one chapter in particular, he goes through a list of men and women who had given their life for the sake of the gospel. Many of them, you've never heard their names. They did so uh, in parts of the world that you've never heard of. They weren't in the newspaper. They didn't get the press that maybe Jim Elliott got. And to much of the world, their death uh, was a tragic, tragic event. It was a tragic waste. And John Piper comes along and he says something, and I can't say it any better, so I'm going I'm to read it to you. In regards to the American dream and what a true tragedy is, he says this, and his title is An American Tragedy, How Not to Finish Your One Life. How Not to Finish Your One Life. Piper says, I'll tell you what a tragedy is in comparison to what the world might call a tragedy. I'll show you how to waste your life. Consider a story from the February 1998 edition of Reader's Digest, which tells about a couple who, quote, took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30 foot trawler, play softball and collect shells. End quote. Piper says, at first I read that and I thought it might be a joke. A spoof maybe on the American dream, but it wasn't. Tragically, this this was the dream. Come to the end of your life, your one and only precious God given life, and let the last great work of your life before you give an account to your creator be this playing softball and collecting shells. Picture them now before Christ at the day of judgment. Quote. Look, Lord, see my shells. That is tragic, Piper says. I noticed something this week um, as I was thinking and praying through uh, this heart message. And you test me on this to see if I'm right as you go back to your word. But I, I can't find anywhere in the New Testament, okay, where there's this lengthy or significance, not the right word, but significant portion of Scripture directing our doing of evangelism. Okay? We find things that talk about the message, getting the gospel clear. We find passages, ex- numerous passages that talk about our uh, lives not getting in the way of the message. We see numerous times where Paul talks about being in the work of sharing the gospel. But it hit me all of a sudden. I I can't, as I reviewed major portions of scripture, New Testament in particular, in my head, I couldn't think of anywhere after the gospels in particular where scripture focuses on preaching to the church about winning the lost and the process of doing that. Does that make sense? I couldn't find anywhere. And I went back. I started after the Gospels and I and I skimmed through chapter by chapter through all the epistles, through Acts. I just I was looking for where is that major portion where the Apostle Paul 
who has the majority of the writing in the New Testament, he steps up and says, let me say to you, church, here's what we do in evangelism. Now get out there and do it. I couldn't find it. On parts on the message being clear. I saw testimony of his life of being out there and doing it. I saw him talk numerous times about us not getting in the way of the message and disqualifying the message itself because of our our hypocrisy. But nowhere do you just move into this section. We don't find this great letter, this great epistle where he says to any church, let me tell you what evangelism is, what the work of it is and why you guys need to step up and get involved. I think it's because the one who will live like that. The one who will live like the Apostle Paul, who will be a guy who, like Paul in his testimonies through the epistles, can say things like, you know, if uh, if it were up to me, I'd rather just assume go on and be with God in glory. And the attitude of his life was, listen, I'd rather go ahead and do that because it'd be much better than living this life. But uh, not what I want, what God wants. Uh, and he said it this way. For me, it's living. It's simply Christ. It's only Christ. It's just Christ. It's primarily Christ for me to live. I'm giving it all to him. He's going to direct my entire path for me to die. That would, in fact, be be something better than this life. Right. And that's not a morbid thought. That's a that's a that's a clear thought of the difference between the finality of of living here in this material world and living eternally with God. Someone like Paul, who has the attitude and understands, I have been bought with a price. I'm not my own. Someone like Paul who meets Christ on the Damascus Road and he's never the same afterwards. I mean, can you imagine Paul? He meets he meets God on the Damascus Road, has an encounter with God. It's great. They exchange pleasantries. He shakes God's hand and says, hey, it was good. Good to see you and goes about his way, making his own life. And says, you know what, I'm, I'm, going to, uh, I'm going to do something great with my life for myself. And that would be strange to us. That would be odd for us. What do we see instead? We see in Scripture that, that guys like Paul who, who encounter God, they leave never the same. And they don't walk away from God. They continue to walk with God. That, that encounter does something to them and it affects everything else in their life. Just thinking that Paul might walk away and not and not continue to walk with God. It strikes us as there's no way that could happen. But oh, how it happens for us. We who have encountered God. Then in our lives, in our daily lives. The most God gets is to be an accent in our life. He's not the primary focus. He's an accent piece. He's an addition. He's a partner with us. We got to work. Yeah, don't lose your place there, buddy. I'm not. Yeah. The passage of Scripture that you mentioned where Paul says, um, in essence, this is Preston's paraphrase. If if um, if the whole thing is a farce, if the whole uh, Christian life, if, if God is really not real, if this whole thing is just kind of a, a something that we have conjured up in our own hearts and minds, we are to be pitied above all men. You guys know that scripture? He says we are to be pitied above all men. If this turns out what we believe, if it turns out to be nonsense, 
the world should look on us, the world, the lost world should look on us and pity us above all men. We should be pitied. I don't want you to read that scripture this the way that Americans usually read that scripture. Um, Paul says we are to be pitied above all men. And so we have to ask ourselves, what are we pitied? What will we be pitied for? Is the world going to pity us because we we believe something that was wrong above all men? I mean, there are people who are starving to death. We're to be pitied above them. There are people who are uh, dying with no, uh, you know, no place to lay their heads. They're living in squalor. Um, uh, they're being, uh, you know, tortured for whatever beliefs that they have. These these people are to be we're to be pitied more than them. So hang with me just for a few more seconds. If that's true, then I'm going to I want to ask you this, because I've asked myself the same question. If I if I removed God from my life, if I take him out of the equation of my life, do people look at me? Would the world look at me and say, man, that guy's to be pitied? Above all men. Does that make any sense? No, the world doesn't. Listen, I, I've got a nice house. I've got, uh, you know, a big television screen. I've got two nice cars. I have a warm bed to sleep in. If God, if God doesn't turn out, to, doesn't pan out, why would the world pity me? I'm just like the world. That's what Paul is saying. You've got to ask yourself, hey, what are you laying down? Paul lays down his whole life. That's why the world is pitying him. Not because he's living like the rest of the world. The world's not going to pity almost any of us American Christians, any of us living in luxury. That's what Paul is talking about. He's not talking about, oh, they look like a fool. The world's not going to pity that. So I challenge you, is your life, is your life going to be pitied? If God turns out to be nonsense. And of course, he's not. But that's the, that's, that's the question you have to ask yourself. Would the world pity you? If God turns out to be false. That's a tough question, isn't it? That's what Paul is saying, I think. And that's I didn't want I didn't want us to read that scripture. When you come by it again, you remember um, you remember that because that's how I read it for so long. Oh yeah, I'd be pitied, yeah. Hmm. That's it. I hope you didn't lose your place. No. So why is it I, I, I put out there and I asked you to I asked you to consider it, think on it. Why is it that you think um, we don't get any major treaties, any major pep talk in Scripture, even from the Apostle Paul, who had given his life to that degree, that we get in the game of evangelism? I think it's uh, I think it's because the one who will live like Paul does so not because they're told to, but because they they simply can't help but to live that way. It's the natural outcome of a life completely given over to God. It's the natural outcome of life completely given over to Christ because they understand not just in their mind, but in their heart. What God has done for them and what he is doing in the world now. That's how a guy like Paul can abandon everything. Count everything else as lost. Sometimes I just want to ask. I just want to ask people, what do, you, uh, what do you really think is going on here? What do you really think this life is about? What, what do you, Christians even, because our lives would give the appearance of something different than what Scripture actually says this life ought to be about.
And as Preston said, there would be no reason to be pitied. First question I think we have to ask before we go into this topic of evangelism, freeing the world, is what am I doing here? And what are you doing with the rest of your life? In case you aren't sure about that answer, let me, let, me, let me make it clear. You're here for God's glory. Specifically, you live in a time and a place in history where, check this out, where you have a responsibility of exposing others to God's glory so that they will embrace him as he is embracing them. That's where we live in history. As Christians, that's the priority on our life. Now, the priority of us as a, as a creature is to give God glory. His glory is our priority. Our priority in time and in space, in history, in this place we find ourselves, in living that glorification out, is, is bringing that truth to the rest of the world. And, and that truth... That responsibility, I think, is what changed guys like Paul, guys like Jim Elliott, other men and women who you'll never hear their names, but they died for the sake of a message. They were not center stage of their life, but God was center stage of their life to the degree that they gave everything else up. Testimony of Scripture is that this circus won't go on forever, will it? It will one day be drawn to an end, and the grace that has been so patiently extended To all of humanity, it will come to a conclusion. That being true, we can't live as though the ride will never end, can we? We can't even even live as though it's about the ride itself, can we? We live in view of what is to come. That's how Paul lived. We live in view of what is to come, namely a face-to-face encounter with a God of all creation for every man, woman, boy, and girl. Can you imagine a guy like Paul countering Christ and going back to his own life? We can't. We can't. The natural outcome of Paul's relationship to a holy God was a changed life. Nothing was ever the same. How is it that we continue to live the same But tell the world that we've encountered this God and we want you to know about him. It's been my experience. It's been true in my life. That if my life is about me. Then I'm probably not going to be doing the work or take the responsibility of evangelism very seriously. If I do, it'll be short lived. The business of uh, sharing the gospel and I'll conclude here is it's not for the part time Christian. That's. It's an easy way to say it. It's not for the part-time Christian. It won't be a part of the one who's added Christianity to their life like God were some accent piece. But for him who finds Christ to be all in all, to be the one who he says he is, you're going to find in yourself this burning desire to do what this time and place in history needs you to do, namely to shine the light of this gospel message that is inside of you. Why don't we get any major treaties in the New Testament from the Gospels on? And I would even argue in the Gospels where Jesus gives parables on 
uh, on the gospel itself and on those who would come to the message, on those who would receive and reject the message, etc. I would even say that the, the, the major emphasis of even those parables and passages is on the message itself, not on not on motivating us to be good evangelists. I think that comes from within. It comes from having our first priority with God right. So two questions and I'll be done. Number one, does this mean uh, you quit your day job and you uh, go to Africa somewhere on mission? No, it's not, it's not what this means. It means that Christ becomes the center of your living out the rest of your life. It means that Christ becomes the center of you living out the rest of your life. Okay? In whatever the context that might be. Teacher, banker, real estate person, bus driver, stay-at-home mom, whatever that may be. Does this mean you have to go to seminary and now go in ministry and you've got to travel the world as a full-time evangelist? No. It means that Christ be the center of the living out of the rest of your life. No matter what the context of your life is, God has to take center stage. When that happens, when that happens, this thing of evangelism, it comes online in a natural way. Number two, second question. Some are sitting here today asking, well, why, would I, why would I do that? Why would I give God the reins of my life? Why would I put God at center stage? Tell me something about this God, please, that would cause me to want to put him in the front and me sink into the back. Tell me something, please, about this God that would want, that would cause in me, that would spark in me some desire to turn my life over to him and to be like this guy, Paul, who says to live as Christ and to die as gain, that, that his life will be focused now primarily on Christ until the end. What would cause me to do that? That's a good question. Let me tell you why the gospel is so important and why it is, in fact, good news. And uh, if God is drawing you to himself, I'm going to make a couple of assumptions here, okay, as I close. Let me make a couple of assumptions. If God is sparking that question in your mind, why would I, why would I make this God the focus, the center, the priority of my life? If he's leading you in that direction, if he's beckoning you in that way, I'm going to make a couple of assumptions. Number one. That deep down, maybe in a place that you've never talked about with friends or family, you sense a distance between you and God. Assumption number two. You sense that that distance isn't God's doing, but it's your own. You have somehow turned your back on him. You've offended him. You sense that that, that distance between you and God is, is your doing. It's, it's not God's. My third assumption that fact, you're turning away, seems at this moment to be the worst thing you could have ever done. I'm going to assume that if, if God is, if he's beckoning you, that, then you have that sense. Number four, you also sense that as much as you would like to run back to him and back to his arms, there is something, some barrier, some gap, some separation that needs resolution. My last assumption. Somehow, you know instinctively at this very moment that an I'm sorry or I'll try better will not do. 
So then let me tell you what the answer is. Scripture says that because God is holy and he is just, he is perfect and he is righteous, reparations or payment must be made. Reparations or payment must be made by you or on your behalf. The bad news is that the payment for rebellion against the king is death, and that is justifiably so. That's the bad news. Now, before you hang your head too long, and with no other option, begin to believe that the lie of that payment is too steep. Let me give you the good news. Let me give you the gracious news. That very God, in the form of a man, Jesus, paid that entire debt. All right, now, let me finish up my heart message, okay? And you'll probably want to come back for a teaching message or even a preaching message if you're, if you're so bold enough to do so. Um, you may be sitting here saying, this is kind of a weird message. And the heart messages are always kind of a weird message. And I can't believe that guy up front got up there and he, he started talking right in the middle of that guy preaching. I've never seen anything like that before. Um, that's why we have a mic right there. And can I, can I confess to you, as odd as that may even have seemed to you, it really doesn't matter to me. I really don't care. Um, this place is not about putting on a show for you or impressing you with a message this morning. It's not about you coming back and saying, man, that guy can really preach. He can really teach. And uh, I want to join that church. It's really not about any of that. I mean, our water doesn't even work. (laughs) Why would you want to come back? If anything draws you back to this place, please let it be this. That um, we're just getting down to it, guys. That's our whole desire is to get down to it. And to get down to it this morning before we go into talking about the grand theology of evangelism and what the gospel message is in all clarity, let me say to you, you Christians, don't even worry about all that. Don't even worry about the nuts and bolts of evangelism and freeing the world, however exciting that may sound to you. Until you're willing to take you out of the driver's seat and say, God, I get that this thing isn't going to go forever and it's it's headed somewhere and you're going to draw it all to an end and we're all going to stand before you one day. And there are men and women out there who are going to stand before you with no hope. Their life has been focused on softball and seashells. And too much of my life has been focused, even though I know You are good. Too much of my life has been focused on softball, seashells, t-ball, whatever it is. My family, my retirement plan, my house, whatever. To the point that I'm not in the game of evangelism. And even if the pastor gets up there and he tells us all about it, and he gives us a great pep talk on, guys, we got to be out there being light and salt in this world. Until God becomes your all in all, until he wipes everything else off the priority list for you and you start living for him, you're never going to be in the game of evangelism. That's why I can't even get into the passages. I can't even get into the scriptures. We can't even get in and watch Paul unpack the gospel 
until we all come to a place and we just get honest enough with each other and say, you know what, I got a bunch of other stuff in my life that comes before me worrying about the people who are out there who might die and go to hell one day. So believers, this is this is our this is our check before we go into the teaching and the preaching. What is this thing all about? Ask yourself, what is this thing all about? Is it about you or is God doing something? Is the creator of all the universe actually have a plan here? Is he actually is he actually doing something with this world or is it going to is it going to continue on and on and on and on? And we'll have kids and they'll have kids and they'll have kids and they'll have kids and it'll never end. And the best hope we have is the young Republicans or the young Democrats or whatever party it is you line up with and that we make this place a better world. It's all going to be done one day. And for guys like Paul, they are able to give everything else up because they understand that, that they're in a time and in a place in history where grace is being extended, but it won't be extended forever. One day we'll have to answer to our God. Now, that guy, that guy who understands that, that's the guy who we can equip. That's the guy who this week when we start a whole new uh, evangelism training deal, Preston's going to take some people through the way of the master. If you want to get on that, you need the nuts and bolts. Your heart is burning. You say, God is my priority. I'm living not my life with God added to it, but I'm living what God wants to do. And I'll add my stuff and I'll contextualize my stuff around God. I'm focusing around him. Everything conforms. Everything is shaped by what he wants me to do. Not the other way around. But I need help. Then you get in that class. We'll give you help. But if you're running your life, the next few messages aren't going to be for you. If you're running your life, this third portion of our priority set, freeing the world, will never become a pure and true reality for you. All right. And if you're that one who says, if that God is worth putting at center stage, I need to know more about him. And if guys like that are willing to get up and make fools of themselves, and I've got to know something about that God. If that's you, don't leave this place. Grab myself, grab Preston. And we'll tell you about the good news. The good news. Let's pray.